All right, what do you call an irrational fear of Santa? Claustrophobia. <laughs> I expected applause. I was going to walk out and just be done with the sermon. Uh, that was free. Uh, but I'm here all week, and I got more of those. All right. Uh, when you were a kid, do you, do you remember having nightmares? Did you have nightmares as kids? Uh, I, I think, yeah, I, I did. Uh, I, had this, I had this reoccurring nightmare. Maybe I've shared this before, still scared of it. Um, I had this re- reoccurring nightmare of being chased by zombies. Always, always zombies for me. And that was my nightmare. Uh, and, and now I know, thank you, Walking Dead, the answer to my, my problems was I just should have had a crossbow. And that's all I would have needed. So whenever our kids... You know, wake up in the middle of the night and try to wake us up, the nerve, and I, they come in crying. I just go, boo, <laughs> boo, shoo, get a crossbow and t- deal with it. That does not happen, does it, Knox? <laughs> but he never does that. <laughs> right. Um, what do we do when we have nightmares? Typically, what you do is you try to go crawl into your parents' bed, if that's a safe place, right? You go, oh, make it better, make it better, whether that makes it better or not. Like, that's what we think. And so but maybe it's not maybe it's a parents' bedroom for you. Maybe it was your dog. And you're like, I just got to go hug my dog. <laughs> or maybe it was a stuffed animal for you. And you're like, I've just got to get my stuffed animal or my blankie or whatever it may be. And that's like your safe place. Because when we're really afraid, we need somewhere to go. When we are really afraid, we all need somewhere to go. Now today, we're going to be looking at the violent nature of fear. Merry Christmas. (laughs) And how fear is like a mighty wind that is is just terrifying, that that is leaving a a toxic wake (laughs) behind itself. we, We are all afraid of something. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of one another. We're afraid of poor health. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of what the future holds. We're afraid of churches. We're afraid of conflict. We're afraid of certain people. Like we're afraid we won't have enough. And usually when we when we have this fear, we make some very bad decisions when we are in that fearful mindset. And so if we're fearful that we won't have enough, then we try to hoard everything right? If we're in this fear, then we try to control everything. And so fear makes us do some really bad things. It also feels like walls are closing in on us when we're in this fearful state, yes? And it's in this moment that we need somewhere to go. And I want to invite you, if that's where you're at this morning, to go to Jesus in that fearful state. I want to invite you to go to Jesus. And so today we're going to look at how Jesus walks with us in our fears in three ways. I know, I'm sorry. The squall, the storm, and the Savior. That's what we're going to look at. The squall, the storm, and the Savior. And so let's look at the squall. Last week, Jesus did the the classic old clown car trick, right? You know, where you had multiple people coming out of a a car, uh, and you're like, how did you get that many 
clowns to fit into that vehicle, but also, you know, how did you convince that many people to go into the business of being a clown, right? Both are miracles, right? But Jesus does this, this clown car trick where this bread just seems, seems to just keep coming out of this basket. Now, obviously, um, that's blasphemy. <laughs> he doesn't do the clown car trick. He, he creates bread out of thin air. It's new creation that's happening right there, right? But these people see this miraculous Feet right here, where this bread just keeps coming. And their response to that, if you remember from last week at the very end, it says that they wanted to make him king by force. (laughs) You did that? (laughs) Make him king, whether he wants to or not. And so you got to imagine, they're like, whoa, whoa, hold up, I just fed you. Like, turn the hangry down a little bit. Like, I thought you had a Snickers bar. We're all good, right? And so what Jesus does, he's, he's like, this is getting a little crazy. And so he retreats alone on a countryside to be alone. And then in another gospel, it says that he then sends the disciples ahead of him to go to Capernaum. And so he sends them ahead of him. And in our passage here in verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. But now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. So, They go down to the Sea of Galilee. They get into the boats at night with no Jesus with them. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Like, you're you're getting the setting of something something horrifying is about to happen. Now, the ancients, when they saw the sea, when they think of the sea, they they think of it as as a place of chaos and disorder, that the sea is, is an unsafe place. Because on land, you may occasionally find yourself walking into some quicksand and you're like, oh, oh no, throw me a rope, right? Or maybe you're just walking along this path here and there's a giant gap under this carpet right here. Maybe you felt that gap here and you're going, I don't know why there's a gap here. That literally is, right? <laughs> occasionally things like that happen on land, but on, in sea, that happens everywhere, right? Everywhere is quicksand. Everywhere has gaps. There, there's no way to hold yourself up it, it, is, it is very unstable. Everything is pulling you over. And so think about the ocean. When you, when you think about the ocean, think about how big the beasts are. Like you think of the blue whale. Like it's just so, so huge. You, you can think of a, how frightening the ocean is with, with all these sharks. I, I assume this is a, a real picture. Uh, <laughs> not photoshopped at all. Right? And that's just the animals. But... When you think of a squall or a typhoon stirring up the waters, the water alone becomes a weapon. And so the enormity and the energy of a wave can just turn you into a punching bag. Like the water is that powerful. It can take you under. It can swirl you around where you don't even know which way is up and which way do I swim for help. And so we have a hard time picturing the sea this way. When we think of the sea, we're like... I see skies of blue. <laughs> We're like, ah, oh, come on. <laughs> just lay it out. We'll have a pina colada, and it's just going to be a beautiful, relaxing place. That's not how they see the sea. That's not how they see it. When they see the sea, it gives them chills. It gives them chills of what's there that, that it has terrified them many, many times. And so some of you guys might have a fear of heights. I'll do a raise of hands. Some of you guys might have a fear of heights. <laughs> And just maybe going up into a hotel and just seeing the window of the balcony 
gives you chills. You're like, I'm going to stay in the room, but just seeing the window gives you the chills. And sometimes when, when you're so terrified, you get the shakes. You guys know what the shakes are? <laughs> Where your, your whole body just starts shaking, or maybe it's like your voice just starts shaking as you're talking. You're like, ah, everything feels uncomfortable. You're, you're, you're having a, a physical reaction to an internal problem. It is that terrifying when you're, when you're in front of something that you are so, and it may not be heights, it may not be the ocean, maybe it's a person for you. Just being around them makes you uncomfortable. You're like, I don't want to see them around town, and, and it, you, you start shaking. Maybe, maybe your voice starts quivering around them. And some, some of y'all, there's a good reason. These are unsafe people. And so this, don't, don't, don't mishear me. And I'm not saying that these fears are ludicrous or that these are unreal fears because you may have good reasons to, to fear someone. All right? And same with the, likewise right here. The people here had good reasons to fear the waters that they were entering into because the waters that they're entering into this eight-mile sea was notorious, notorious for wrecking boats and killing people. So they had legitimate fears of this water. This is a real fear that could happen at this moment. And so in this moment, in this moment of, of real and present danger is when they see Jesus walking. It's in that, that, the height of fear that Jesus walks. Now, he's not just walking on, on water, right? He's walking on water in a storm. <laughs> like, this isn't Lake Placid, <laughs> And you're like, I could probably skip some, some rocks across that. It is a storm that he is walking across, that they're seeing him do this. And so think about the, the, how wild this was. Jesus said, you guys go on ahead because I'm going to walk across the lake. It's actually going to be faster for me to walk across the lake. And so while the waves are crashing and the wind is hitting and the water is spraying, in the distance they see this man walking on the water. Now, He's not walking towards them. We'll find out later. He's walking by them. Now, if you ever see anything like this, you might be thinking, oh no, all my nightmares are coming true. This is frightening. Because if we look at Mark 6, we get a fuller picture of the story here. Mark 6 tells the story and gives us a little bit more of a perspective. And it says, and he, in verse 48, he, Jesus, saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about a fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. <laughs> Did you catch that? I think the first time you read that, you're like, Jesus sees them struggling. And he's like, don't let them see me. Don't let them see me. <laughs> and Peter's like, ah, and he's like, take it, Peter. <laughs> right? He meant to pass by them. I just, I think that was kind of wild, right? All right. All right. We'll, we'll go back to the scripture. <laughs> Verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. And so not only are they in the middle of the waters, the source of chaos, in the middle of a storm that pepper in some more chaos, they're now seeing monsters and ghouls walking on the water, first by them, but now towards them. So fear is in the air. Like, you can taste the fear. It is just palpable. And, it, and it's only going to get worse. 
Because we're going to move from the squall to the storm. The fear is going to get worse. Now, some of you may be thinking, didn't we just talk about the storm? No, we're entering the storm right now. Think about to your second grade class um, when, you were, when you were taught, what is a storm? Let's answer that question. What is a storm? How, how, do, how do storms form? Anyone? Maybe it was not second grade. <laughs> storms form when opposites collide. When you have, we have warm air meeting cool air and a storm starts brewing. That's how, that's how storms form. And, and particularly... Uh, right here, when, when warm air meets this cold air, the strong winds uh, from the hills came rushing down, and they're, they're suddenly striking the, the lake that lies 682 feet below sea level. It creates this, this squall or the storm right here. So storms are created when opposites collide. Think about it this way. When the disciples meet Jesus and they see Jesus, it creates this new kind of storm in their heart. There is a new storm that is greater than the storm that's happening outside when these opposites collide here. Think about it. They're they're rowing. They're freaking out. And they see this, this freaky ghoul walking towards them. And they hear in verse 20, it is I. It is I. And and maybe the first response is, oh, good, you're not a ghost here to drag me to hell. Good. (laughs) But he says, it is I. It is the God of the universe. Now, when Jesus says to his disciples here, the translators put, it is I. Which, in in the original Greek, it literally says, ego ami. Which could be translated, I am. I am. And you might be saying, I am what? <laughs> I am going for a walk. Uh, I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. I am, you know, what, what, what is this that you're trying to say? But what some commentators say is happening here, and that's truly revealing, is that he's trying to say, I am. I am the same God that, that Yahweh came to Moses at the burning bush and said, who are the people supposed to tell, who am, I, who, how, who am I supposed to tell the people sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent you. I am sent you. I am what? I am because I don't, I don't have a beginning or an end. I just exist. I don't exist because of something. I am the cause of all existence. And so he's making an incredible claim here that the, he's the cause of all things, that before there was time, I am. Now, others have claimed to be God before, and we, and we go, okay, because we, we listen to their definitions of God. And they say, well, I, I, I'm God, but their, their idea of God is this, that, that you know, God is in everything. You know, that there, there, there's a good force or power in everything, and so I am... God, and maybe more like a superhero type, and you're going, okay, okay. Um, it's not as wild of a claim, but what Jesus is telling us, the way he defines God, he says, I am. I am the one who created everything, sustains everything, wears flesh and blood, controls everything from hurricanes to candy canes. Think about that. Like, what is a hurricane to God? It's just a dirty drop of water to him. <laughs> if he really is in control of everything, it's just a dirty drop of water. 
Job tells us that he describes God in Job 9a. It says, he alone stretches out the heavens and treads or walks on the waves of the sea. God is treading on the waves of the sea, and that is a very pregnant image. He has been telling us who he is for a very long time if we will actually listen to him. Now, this picture of a person walking to you in the storm, I mean, in scary movies, you have, you have the villains have rules, right? Like, there's typically a formula for ghosts and monsters and demons. They all play by certain rules. And so if you have a silver bullet, you know you can take out a werewolf. If you have a crucifix, you know you have some sort of a defense against a demon in movies, right? <laughs> but what do you do when the source of your fear is the God who created everything, who can hold that storm in the palm of his hand, is walking towards you? That's where this true fear is happening. And this is what we, we call meeting God's holiness. They are meeting God's holiness. We don't like to talk about God like this. We don't like to talk about God's holiness. But all throughout scriptures, you see God so holy that it can't even be looked upon. That you can't even look at him because he's that holy without it killing you. We don't, I mean, it's hard for us to comprehend that. But I think when Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, comes before the Lord, goes into his temple, he gives us the same picture of the terror that the disciples had when they saw Jesus walking on the water. In Isaiah 6, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, these are angels, and each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And here's, here's Isaiah's response in verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. <laughs> he just came into the presence of the, the Almighty, the holiness of God, and there was a storm that just brew right there. This is what it's like when, you, when opposites collide, when, when you actually meet the true God. A real storm brews in, your, brews in your heart. I'm a sinner with unclean lips. The things that I've said, they've not been honoring, not been good, they've not, they've not been helpful, not been compassionate. The things that I've thought, I'm unclean thoughts, and the impure thoughts that I've had have not been good. And so when I come into the presence of the Almighty, there's a storm brewing that, woe is me, I am ruined. How am I going to stand in, in, in His presence it's that same feeling of someone finding out your secret. That same dread of, oh no, someone's going to find me out. Someone's going to hear about my impure thoughts. Someone's going to know of all my skeletons in the closet. It's that dread of being found out. And at Christmas, when the God of the universe comes to earth, you would think there is some type, sort of, of dread of, of who this, this being is. But at Christmas, we usually like to think of Jesus as just a baby. And it warms our hearts. 
but it doesn't ever transform our soul. At Christmas, until we see the terrifying Jesus, we won't ever be transformed by Jesus. We need to see him as both. We need to have the opposites collide of his holiness meeting us, the great I am. And even, even if, because I got pushback in our liturgy meeting, even if he's not doing a throwback to the I am with Moses, even if that's true, even if the translators are right, and he says, it's just, it is I. The point is the same. His presence to his disciples causes them more fear. And he's trying to quell it because they're, coming into the presence of God, fear is a natural response. So we're going to move from the squall to the storm to the Savior. The disciples were right to be afraid. But just when they see this man walking on the water towards them, just when they hear, it is I, whether it's I am or not, they are fearful. Because when you meet God, you hear, I am, don't touch the mountain. I am, cover your feet. I am, bow down. I am, cover your eyes. Don't look upon him. That's what you expect. You you expect, it is I, be afraid. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 20 is just so beautiful. It is I, do not be afraid. What happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Is that the Old Testament is an angry God and the New Testament is a loving God? Is Jesus more loving and and God the Father is more more bitter and and angry? That's absolutely absurd. It's the same God and he doesn't change. He is still terrifyingly holy, but he is still startling loving too. That he is both holy and loving. Jesus is giving his disciples a glimpse or a foreshadow of what it's like to truly be in God's presence. Yes, he's holy and we're unholy. And a storm should brew. But here's the twist of what happens in this passage. Like instead of this sense of dread that we we might have of being found out, we get this great sense of joy (laughs) of meeting our maker who truly sees us. Who says, I see you. I know you. There's a joy that is found here because the storm still brews. But what happens is that storm now comes upon Jesus himself. Because Jesus gets ruined by the storm, not you. That's what the cross is. It is God's love and his justice colliding. That's what the cross is. It is is his love and his justice coming to meet together so that we don't have to experience that storm ourselves. At the cross, there's the greatest storm ever imaginable of these two opposites colliding, coming together. The son of God, the perfect spotless lamb, is drenched in barrels of sin. And so he's no longer spotless. He takes all of our spots onto him. He takes all of our sin on him and so that the wrath of God is poured out on him. And let's just be clear, Jesus isn't a helpless son. He is still God of the universe who is willingly sacrificing, laying down his life for his beloved, for you. He loves us that much. Don't you see that Jesus isn't just Lord of the storm, he's the savior through the storm as well. Like every other religion... Shows you that here here is your God, here is your Lord, serve him. But Christianity also shows you that here is your Savior. Here is your rescuer. Every other religion shows you how you can please and appease God, but Christianity alone reveals a Savior for mess-ups like you and me. 
Who can't please and appease that type of God? Jesus is not just an example, but he is a substitute. He is our substitute in our place. And so it's out of immense love for you and me that Jesus says, it is I, don't be afraid. You don't ever have to be afraid again. Because of what I'm going to do and what I've done, you, I will always be with you. I will always be with you, and so you never have to be afraid again. It is I, don't be afraid. And do you know that more than any other command Jesus makes in the New Testament, what, what, is the, what, what do you think is the most popular command in the New Testament? Be nice. <laughs> Dress up for church. <laughs> Smile. Love God. Maybe something basic like that. No, it is do not be afraid. That's the number one command Jesus gives us is do not be afraid. Why? Because that's the number one problem that we all have. That we all have that we have this dripping with fear. And Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. That's my number one command to you. In Luke 12, 7, Jesus says, indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid because you are worth more than, than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. You are worth more to me than gold because you're gold to me. You are precious to me, and I'm going to protect you. God wants you to have nothing to do with fear. He wants you to have nothing to do with it. It is I, fear not. It is I, fear not. At Christmas, when the angels come in Luke 2, the angels are telling them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Do not be afraid because the Savior is coming for you and he's going to bring great joy. Why? Because John tells us later in 1 John 4, 18, perfect love casts out fear. Jesus loves you that much. And if he loves me that much, it is going to cast the fear away from me that I don't have to be afraid. And it's real that he is with me like that. And so what we see in this passage is that Jesus walks on, in, and through the water with you on in and through the storms with you. Jesus walks on the storm. Look at the power of our Savior, the all-powerful creator, sustainer of the universe. There's actually four miracles that happen in this passage. Our John passage is kind of brief and quick, but the other passages bring it all together from the other gospels. The four miracles. One, Jesus walks on water. Pretty baller move, right? We think that's pretty good. We've talked about that. Number two, the other accounts report how when they see Jesus, Peter's first response in Matthew 14, 28 is, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. You've got to imagine the other disciples were a little annoyed with Peter at this moment. <laughs> Storm brewing, see a terrifying God in front of them. I'm going to command you, God, to tell me to walk on the water. Jesus graciously, like, this I was like, come on, Peter, stop, stop. Like, but Jesus does it. And he lets Peter walk on the water with him. Verse 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water. And so Jesus walks on water. Number two, miracle, Peter walks on water. Number three, once in they were in the boat, the other accounts tell us that the storm stops. Once they come in the boat, he, he quells the storm. And then the fourth miracle, no one really wants to talk about this one, in verse 24 or 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. <laughs> Jesus just teleports. 
them from one in the middle of the, the lake. That tells them that they were in the middle of the lake and they immediately are on the shore. No one talks about teleporting Jesus here, but that's a pretty awesome miracle as well. <laughs> immediately, there's four miracles that happens here that Jesus walks on the water is one of the, the amazing things he does. He does so much here. Our God has that type of power. But then <laughs> sometimes we don't just need God just to Show us his power. We just need him to be with us. So Jesus walks on the water, but he also walks with you in there. And so he, he sees the disciples out there struggling. He sees their fear. He sees their pain. And we just, sometimes we just need someone to grieve with us. We don't need them to say anything. We just need them to cry with us. And Jesus sees you and he, and he comes with you. And he grieves with you. He's a safe person for us to come to. And he says, I'm with you. And I would tell you some of the most profoundly painful times in my life. I've felt closer to Jesus than ever because he's been with me through it. And sometimes I miss those painful times in my life because of how intimate that relationship is with Jesus. Obviously, we don't want to glorify the pain, but that, that intimacy with Jesus, he is, he's with us in the storm. So he walks on in, but he also walks through it with you. When Jesus gets in the boat, immediately they're on the shore. And now many of us want that type of instant gratification. Uh, type When Jesus comes to our, he comes and sees our storm and we're like, use your amazing teleporting powers, Jesus, get us through the storm. And I, sometimes it doesn't work like that. But still he walks with you through the storm. He will not leave you languishing. <laughs> he will not leave you languishing. This is... This is what you're going through right now is only a comma. It's not a full stop. What you're going through right now is only a chapter in the story. It's not the full story. Now, some of you may be saying, this is a really long chapter. <laughs> Lord, end that chapter soon. But Jesus is walking with you through the storm. He is with you, and he's going to see you to the end of it. And so I want to ask you this morning, what is it that's causing your heart to shake your, your voice to quiver. What is that for you? Let me just take a second just for us to breathe. Would you do a little experiment? And just, let's just all take a, a moment to inhale real big. Hold it and exhale. Sometimes it's helpful to just close our eyes. Sometimes we, we just need to meditate that Jesus is telling us, it is I do not be afraid. And it's in this moment that we can just breathe. Breathe. Admit that you're anxious. Admit that you're scared. Admit that you're fearful. And hear that Jesus says, I am with you. You can open your eyes. Sometimes it's helpful to write those fears down. So you can look back at them later and see what God has done. And how he's brought you through those fears. So write that down and just remember that Jesus walks on, in, and through the storms with you. And let me close with some poetry from John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. He says, Be gone, unbelief, my Savior is near, and for my relief will surely appear. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. Let me pray.